1: Guess how much love Jesus has for you and went to a cross for you. You are compelled now to love others and serve them. Just as he served you. I didn't come to be served. I've come to serve. And when you realize that, you want to serve others yourself. You want to help others. You want to become other-centered. You want to do as unto them. When you gave a cup of water to the least of these, you've given it to me, Jesus said. Wow. Greatest foundation for ministry is wanting to give something to others because of everything Jesus gave to you.
0: In your walk with Christ, are you always putting others first? In your quest to better yourself through Him, it's easy to lose sight of what you should be valuing most. Today, Pastor Dave explains that no matter what, always put others first. Jesus served all of society. You need to serve others and bring glory to His kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 as he continues his message, What Happens When You Say Amen?
1: We succeed when we believe the promises of God and act upon them in faith. Did you hear what I said? We don't succeed by making promises to God. We succeed when we believe the promises of God and act on them through faith. That's how we succeed. We dwell on this. Mark and I dwell on this. We even had a, an addiction conference with this theme in 2 Corinthians 5. In Second Corinthians 5, in verse 14, we read, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ compels us. And, and in the New King James, it says the love of Christ constrains us. And what we did was we took the two different avenues and looked at it. And Paul introduces the subject of love of Christ as a constraining force in his life. It's the love of Christ that constrained Paul from going against him, from doing other things. When we realize just how much Christ loved us and just how much he gave up for us on the cross, that constrains us from going against us. It constrains us from doing and acting out and doing evil things. Paul's not really talking about the motivations to ministry, though we hear it taught this way. It's not really that way. Whenever Paul talked about the love of Christ... He was only thinking of one thing. What was that? The cross, absolutely. The cross. When Paul talked about the love of Christ, he was only thinking of the cross. The only way God has ever sought to show or to prove to you that he loved you was by sending Jesus Christ to a cross. Romans 5 eight. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died on a cross. Whenever God wants to declare his love for you, it is always through the cross, always through the cross. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Who? big word, propitiation. What's it mean? Jesus came the appeasement of God's law. He became the appeasement. We couldn't fulfill the law. we were helpless, we couldn't do it. But Jesus did it. He appeased God's law by going to the cross, becoming the perfect sacrifice for you and me. That's what a propitiation means. For God commended or demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yesterday, Christ died. I read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And always God's love for you is tied up to the death of Jesus Christ for you. Never forget that. Never forget that God's love for you is solely based on Jesus' death on the cross. Solely. They never thought the love of God apart from the cross because of God's demonstration. His supreme demonstration of love, greater love have no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The love of Christ constrains me, Paul says. The love of Christ constrains me. When I think of it, oh, I can't do that because the love of Christ, I feel it so much. Just like you have the love for someone else constrains you from doing this or doing that. It's a constraining force. But the love of vice is also a compelling force. It's also a compelling force. It's a motivational force that even pushes us. The love of Christ is Jesus' love towards Paul. Paul said what they had to do with his ministry because they received so much love from Jesus that it compelled him to serve others. When you realize just how much love Jesus has for you and went to a cross for you, you are compelled now to love others and serve them. Just as he served you. I didn't come to be served. I've come to serve. And when you realize that, you want to serve others yourself. You want to help others. You want to become other-centered. You want to do as unto them. When you gave a cup of water to the least of these, you've given it to me, Jesus said. Wow. Greatest foundation for ministry is wanting to give something to others because of everything Jesus gave to you. When you stop and realize what Jesus did for you, I don't know how you get past salvation But after salvation, there's so much more. Where do we find out about that, Dave? God's word. You find out about it in God's word. And our favorite statement is, all this and salvation too, I can't stand it. (laughs) Salvation alone makes you crumble. When we really receive the love of Christ, it touches our hearts. And we want to serve others. We want to love others. Not that we won't mess up sometime. You're not hearing me teaching perfection, please. If you hear that, you're not, you're mishearing. I'm not teaching perfection. We don't want to mess up, but our flesh gets in the way sometimes. Paul felt compelled by the love of Christ. If someone would ask, why are you doing this? Why are you in pain? And why are all these troubles? Why is all this thing happening to you? Why are you going through so much trouble? Somebody may ask you, what's going on in your life? How come you have so much pain? How much much trouble? Paul would say, I have to because I received the love of Christ on the cross. I have the love of Christ in my heart in the sense that I love Jesus. I also have the love of Christ in my heart who loves all people. I am compelled. I am compelled by the love of Jesus. So the love of Christ constrains us and the love of Christ compels us. And this is what happens. And we realize that and we know that by reading God's word. By letting it sink into our minds and our brains and become part of us. So they signed the document and the first evidence that they were serious about all this was their submission to the Lord. They were serious about it for their submission to the Lord. All of them that signed were submissive to the Lord. I'm doing this out of my love for you, Lord. I want to be your servant. I want to love you. I'm going to do that. I'm signing this. The next thing we see, they were serious because they separated themselves from other people. They separated themselves from foreigners. Look at 29 through 31. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and all those had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God. Where did they learn it? In the word of God, when they heard it and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord our God, and his ordinance and his statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We would forego the seventh year produce and exacting of every debt. This was difficult to live during this time. Jerusalem was surrounded by foreign nations. They were surrounded by Gentiles. Everybody on the outside were Gentiles and they were all idol worshipers. They were all doing horrible things in the name of their idol. They were committing horrible children's sacrifices and things like that. But they wanted to be a part of the Jewish society. They, they wanted to be a part in every way. They wanted to be social with them. They wanted part of their religious activity. They wanted part of their businesses. Why? Why would they want to be part of the Jewish society? What would cause them to want to be a part of the Jewish society? Because they saw what God had done for them. They saw all the things that God had done for them, and they wanted the piece of that pie. Trust me, if you're exuding Jesus Christ in your place of work or wherever you are, people are going to see that. They may not believe in Jesus Christ, but they believe you believe in that, and if something goes wrong, could you pray for me? Could you pray for Yeah, right. They see that in you, and they want part of that. So all these foreigners, all these these Gentiles, and they're Gentiles. They weren't Jewish, so they were all Gentiles. They wanted a piece of the action. They wanted some of their money. They wanted to socialize with them. They wanted to give their daughters to marriage and and have their sons married to them. And, And they want to do all these things. But the law of Moses strictly prohibited God's people from living like the Gentiles. Note the key word, living like the Gentiles. The Jews were supposed to reach out to the Gentiles in love and show them God's love. They were supposed to bring the Gentiles to God, but they did not. They took this to mean have nothing to do with them. It says come out from among them and be separated. So they took that to be, I don't want anything to do with them. But they were supposed to be good neighbors and show the love of God to these people. But the priests had the positions of teachers, and they taught the nation the law. Ezekiel 44, verse 23 says... Talking about the priest. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Why did I give you that scripture? Because to the Jew, the Gentile was unclean. He was filth. He was dirty. In fact, in Jesus' day, what did they call them? Dogs. They called them dogs. They were totally unclean. If a Gentile was walking down the street and a Pharisee was walking down the same street, the Pharisee would cross over not to be near the Gentile, because he didn't want to be unclean. He didn't want to be unclean. The separation was to be for total devotion to God. So the children of Israel separated themselves from the people around them and gave themselves to the Lord and the word of God. That's what separating means. It doesn't mean cutting yourself off from the world. They united with their brothers and sisters and promised to obey the law of the Lord. If you separate yourself and ignore God and other believers, that's called isolation. That's called isolation, and it usually, isolation usually leads to what? Sin. Sin. But it's through the Holy Spirit that we can find a balance to live a godly life in an ungodly world. All of us live in an ungodly world. And we must strike a balance with God, but the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're a legalist, you want everybody to live by your rules. This only keeps you Immature. You're immature in God's word if you are strictly a legalist and you depend upon other people. And usually you end up judging everybody else's walk, thinking yours is better. Look what that person did. Oh my. The only way to grow in a balanced Christian life is to submit to the Lord totally, to follow Him by faith, being led by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're to do. That's exactly what we're to do. When Jesus called the disciples, he said, Matthew, clean yourself up. Come on, clean yourself up, get right, and follow me. No, he simply said, follow me, simply. Notice the two things that are mentioned here, marriage and the Sabbath. The danger of mixed marriages. The danger of mixed marriages. There's a danger there talks about it in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It talks about it. There's a danger in mixed marriages because usually they go the other way and they start to break apart. And there's a loss of faith. Also in a mixed marriage, how could they possibly follow the dietary laws? How could they follow the dietary laws? And what usually happened, the Jews were led to become idol worshipers. This was one of the reasons why they were carried away in the first place because they became idol worshipers. The entire northern kingdom was nothing more than idol worshipers the entire time, and they were carried away first by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah saw that they were being carried away, but they too dabbled with idols, and eventually they were carried away too. It's difficult to see God's blessing upon anyone who deliberately disobeys his word. And in the New Testament, you can read for yourselves 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7. They also... Observing the Sabbath was extremely important. It was extremely important to the Jews. It was strictly a Jewish practice. And they also had to obey the sabbatical year. What does that mean? That means that every seventh year, they were to give the land rest. They were to give the land rest. They weren't to plan on it. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that, which is one of the reasons why they went away for 70 years. It's because they didn't give the land the rest that it needed. For them saying that we're going to separate ourselves, we're not going to give our sons, we're not going to take their daughters, and we're going to remember the Sabbath, and we're going to try to keep it above, this is a huge step for these guys. This is a big step. So they demonstrated their ability to follow their covenant by the submission to the word of God, by their separation from the Gentiles in marriage, and keeping of the Sabbath, and finally, they showed evidence of keeping this covenant by their support of the house of God. They supported the house of God. Let's read the rest of the chapter, 32 through 39. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the burnt offerings of the Sabbath, the new moons, the new set feasts for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our Lord. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of our fruit year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the first broom of our sons and our cattle as it is written. In the law, Notice that everything they're doing was written in the law of Moses. Everything they did was written in the law of Moses. They are trying to do everything they can to honor God by obeying this very, very difficult law. This extremely difficult law. The law of Moses is extremely difficult to obey. In fact, nobody could. It says, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written into the law, the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of the Lord, to our priests to minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from our trees, the new wine, oil, priests, the storehouses to the house of God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, and for the Levites should receive the tithes that are our farming communities, and the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of grain, the new wine and oil to the store rooms where the articles are the sanctuary and where the priests who minister, the gatekeepers and the singers are and will not neglect the house of the Lord. I love that line. We will not neglect the house of the Lord. Wow. The house of God is mentioned nine times during that phrase. The last phrase, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. What's that mean? It means care for what God is doing. Care for his building. Care for God's house. He doesn't dwell here, but this is his house. He wants us to do everything we can to make it a beautiful sanctuary, to make it a beautiful place, to make it comfortable so that we can come in in comfort and safety. And we can come in and we can worship God. We can study his word. We can fellowship one to another. And we can pray. And this is what they're doing. They're making, doing everything they can to exact ourselves yearly one third of a shekel for the service of our house of God. They lay down a yearly tax to support the workings of the temple. They required people to bring the wood to the temple. They committed themselves to obey the rule of the firstborn, firstborn of every single thing and give a tenth of their tithe, a tenth of their property. They did two things. They agreed to give God as he commanded. And they agreed to give the special need required, all the first fruits. Why? They didn't want to neglect the house of the Lord. We don't talk much about giving here. We don't talk much about tithing. One of the reasons we don't talk about that is because I think that as you're here, God will put upon your heart that you might want an offering, that you might want to tithe, that you might want to donate. And we try to do things around here so you can see the things that we do. We have a lot of things that we do around here. We've been very, very blessed to help many, many people to do many, many things. We're very, very blessed to, to be able to have a, a sanctuary where we can keep it cool in the summer. Some of you like to think it's cold, but we can keep it cool during the summer. We can keep it hot during the winter. Some of you think it's cold in the winter, too. We, we can do these things because, because the God has put upon your heart to give to this ministry. It's what we do. We never ask for a dime, except we do have a Nehemiah list every now and then when we're doing something special that people can take part in. We do our best to try to help out as best we can. But it's your blessings from God, as you your abundance, your overflow and abundance, that you give back to the church. And you allow us to do the things we do. God has been so, so incredibly good to us that we want to be that to you. We want to just share God's love with you. And that's what we do. You know, It says that he who has the gift of giving, to give liberally, to give as whatever, you know, just whatever the Lord needs upon your heart. The only time we ever talk about money here is when it comes up in scriptures. That's the only time we talk about it because it's in the scriptures and we go through the scriptures. But other than that, we don't talk about, we don't take an offering. We don't take an offering. When I first got here, I think I told you the story. When I first got here, my board wanted me to take an offering. They wanted me to take an offering. So, okay, we had bags made. We had the little black bags made, little purple bags. Got them all together. We had four of them made. The first day I had four ushers come forward. I went around and they took an offering. The next week I was standing, standing up at the podium and we were going through the offering and my heart just wrenched. My heart just wrenched. I felt, okay, Lord, that's it. Never took an offering again. I cannot begin to tell you how God has provided for this ministry. It is incredible the way he provides for this ministry. And he uses you. He uses you. He blesses you to bless this ministry. And as he blesses you, you want to bless others. And your gifts and your tithes and your offerings are going all over the world. We support all these missionaries all over the world. And your tithes go to that. It's you that do that. Because God has loved you so much, and he's given you so much that you just want to give back. And what you give, none of my business is between you and God. I don't care. If you choose not to give, that's between you and God. Doesn't bother me one way or the other. But I can tell you that you'll never be able to outgive God. I can tell you that if you do decide to give, that God will bless you in abundance, and he will continue to bless you. But you give as you're able to give. You give as the Lord leads you and as you're able. And that's it. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. We don't need to. And I stopped taking an offering, and I never hope to take one again. I don't want to. I don't believe that God wants me to, so we don't. But they did hear. They did hear because it was important. You saw what they were doing. They were not only giving some of their money, but they were given what? Wood to burn, to keep the fires going. They were given of their first fruits, of their sons, first fruits of their animals, first fruits of their fruit, first fruits of their farm vegetables, first fruits of all these things, first fruit of their dough that they would make. All the things they were giving into the temple because they said, we won't neglect the house of God. Now, we call this God's house. Surely he doesn't live here. But I do believe that while we're here together, scripture says that wherever two or more gather, he appears in our midst. And I believe he's here. And I welcome him here. The spirit's here. So we want to take care. We want to do the best. We always want to do the very, very best we can for God. Ask God what you should give. Ask God how you should give. Ask God. And he will direct you. And listen to him. And then as you're obedient to him, watch him bless you. Watch him bless you. And I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I probably did 5,000 times, but I'm going to tell you again. When I came down here, when I came down here to be pastor, February tenth, two 2010, my pastor, Pastor Frank Hippolito, right before I left, said, I got one word for you. He said, David, he said, this is what I want you to do. I said, what? He said, be a spectator. In other words, watch what God can do. Watch what God can do when we are wholly committed to Him. In everything we do, when we are wholly committed to Him, watch what He can do. But this is what's happening here in Nehemiah. This is what's happening in Nehemiah. After they said amen, it was time to get busy. They weren't blowing smoke. They really meant what they said. I hope you guys do too. After we say Amen. Amen. You are sure
0: Nehemiah 2, 17-18 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Nehemiah wanted to motivate and encourage people to enter into the work of God, he didn't only tell them about the great need in front of them. He also told them of the work God had already been doing. Do you see something that needs doing, that you'd like to bring others along to do the work with you? Pray and step into the work, and when God begins to move in great ways, showcase that for the world to see. You'll find that others want to jump in the work God is already doing, but it does take a person to lead the charge. If you're seeing the need today, that person is you. Thanks for joining us today on A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the rich book of Nehemiah, and you don't want to miss a moment of it. One way to be sure you can catch it all is to head over to AsureHoperadio.com. Once there, you'll find all the ways you can stay up to date with the current series or go back and revisit another one. Once again, that website is AsureHoperadio.com. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more in the book of Nehemiah next time on A sure Hope.